Hey everyone, welcome to Group Text. Well, my guest today is the madcap grand dame, fan favorite of Bravo's hit series Southern Charm. Patricia Altschul is a socialite, an art collector, an aficionado, a philanthropist, and, which would make my mother so happy, an expert in etiquette. And her blood, as she says, is officially 40 proof. Two parts plasma, (laughs) one part gin. Patricia, (laughs) welcome to Group Text. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here and to talk to you because... You probably don't know this, but I knew your mother. I do know that. You two ran in those very fancy philanthropic circles went during your time in New York. Exactly. I think I first met her when I, it was a, a dinner party with just women. And uh, they were all boring, and she and I sat next to one another, and she was going with Orrin Lehman at the time. Yes, yes. And my husband uh, was a Lehman, and so she, we, we had a great time talking about the, the Lehmans, and uh, she, I think she was just getting ready to break up with Orrin at that time. That was the first time I met her. And then Mario Bawada and I used to go down to some dingy club. It was, I don't know where, in the worst part of New York, down in the basement. And we would go down and listen to your mother try out material. It was fun. And I'm just going to take a guess, which is going to mean nothing to anyone but us. Was it at Georgette Mossbacker's? When you guys first met? Yes. Yeah. I had a feeling. I had a feeling it was because she used to have those dinners. Yes, exactly. And Georgette is a good friend of mine. Um, But another time I used to, after I met your mother, we knew each other. I would see her at Buckingham Palace and they all, all the royals loved your mother. And what a funny story is uh, we were in the ladies' room after the cocktail hour, and Mary Lou Whitney was in the ladies' room, and she had had too much to drink. And she shocking. couldn't. Shocking. Shocking. And but your mother and I had to help her pull up her pantyhose because she she couldn't get her pantyhose pulled up. And so Joan took one side and I took the other and we kind of it was like stuffing a sausage. We both yanked and got her pantyhose back up. And no one would believe that happened, but I know it did. But before we get into all that good stuff. I have so many questions I want to ask you. So you were born and raised in the South, then went north to George Washington University, GW. You earned a master's in art and archaeology and in art history. Yeah, that's true. How did a girl from the Deep South end up wanting to put on a pith helmet and go on digs? Well, uh, <laughs> uh, I actually, uh, in graduate school, went to, I went to uh, Pompeii and Herculaneum, 
And being Southern, I was the one that stood outside of these Etruscan tombs and because there were a lot of vipers in Italy. And mm -hmm. my job was to, because I was Southern and knew how to shoot, I, my job was to kill any vipers that might, you know, try to get into the tomb that they were excavating. So I never saw the inside of the tomb, but I killed maybe 20 vipers. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Annie Oakley. I mean, that is, that just strikes me as like, okay, I'm out here. I'm going to go on a dig. Here's your gun. Make yourself useful. That's exactly it. You got it in a nutshell. <laughs> you also have a master's in art. Did your love yeah. of art begin from the time you were finger painting? Well, my mother and father traveled extensively with me as a young child. And, you know, I loved going to art galleries, major galleries and all the European uh, centers. And my mother loved opera. So the deal was, and I did this from the time I was young all the way through until she passed away, we would take trips together. And the deal was she would go with me to the museum or the art gallery, and I would go with her to the opera. And did you, uh, no one, no one put shopping in there? <laughs> That's a given. <laughs> That's a given. <laughs> you got to do something between the museum and the opera. Yeah. Well, believe me, we cut a wide swath in uh, the boutiques in Paris. Absolutely. So your mother really, was she the one that inspired your love of art? Well, you know, my father was a surgeon and diplomat, and uh, he was a lovely, intelligent man, but he died when, he, uh, I guess I was about 19 when he died. Uh, he was 38 years older than my mother, maybe 40, I've forgotten. Uh, so there were many years after that where, you know, it was just my mother and I traveling around. And is that what made you love? Because people who love art love it so deeply. And I know, like with my parents who had a lovely collection, I still remember the first good piece they bought. And I still have it in my home. And it still evokes emotion from me. But I think that's where my love of art came from. Do you have that kind of a memory of the first time something like that moved you? Well, I grew up in Richmond, Virginia, and we have an incredible museum there. And uh, my mother was active, you know, on the board. And um, uh, we got... I think it was the largest collection of Fabergé eggs uh, outside of Russia. And uh, Paul Mellon was very active. And of course, as you know, he was one of the great collectors of all times. And he gave a lot of his paintings to the Richmond Museum, as well as his sporting art. And so I really, at a young age, uh, would spend my Saturdays at the museum with my mother. And uh, I've always been passionate about it. It's you know, such a it's, wonder, 
It's so wonderful. Well, it's something that you can enjoy, you, you know, if you're a collector, like my late husband was considered one of the uh, 20 top art collectors uh, at, at his time. And he had something like 700 paintings and he had his own curator. And we were always sending paintings out, uh, you know, for various exhibitions all over the world. And we would go when the painting finally was exhibited, we would go. It was in Paris or Japan or Milan, wherever. And uh, collecting, you know, is another aspect. Um, I was very, very lucky to have that in common with him because I learned so much from him as well. My area was American 19th century, Hudson River. And his was French post-impressionist. I love Hudson River. Well, I do too. And uh, But his was post-impressionist French, and he did some American. So I learned a lot from him, and we traveled together. And we would go to Grosvenor House, which had all kinds of fancy things for sale, or we would go to thrift markets or yard sales because there was always the hope that you were going to find that Monet you know hidden amongst other treasures so it was fun I want to talk a little bit about etiquette you wrote a book called the art of southern charm and you go through everything from how to dress how to present oneself how to entertain but the one that caught me was how to sleep with someone. Now, I grew up in a very formal household. We had finger bowls every night, French service. I know all of that. But we never covered the etiquette of sleeping with someone. Please educate me. (laughs) I don't remember writing that. Are you sure that was me? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Uh, What did I say? I don't remember. I don't know. That's why I was like, wow. I mean, at least it gives you something to do with your formal stationery. I suppose you could leave a note. (laughs) Well, I do remember writing about, uh, you know, having a collection of proper types of stationery. But I must admit, I don't quite remember that other part. (laughs) I wrote that book a while ago. Uh, uh, I, I could make up something. It's oh, been a right while. I, I, it's been a while. So, you know, I have to, I have to go back to past memories. That's uh, fine. Think away. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, I have this whole European theory about people can have sex, but they shouldn't really sleep together because it's so uncivilized. All my European friends have separate bedrooms, and uh, I think it enlivens their sex life because they never know if they're going to be invited into the other bedroom or if they're going to be surprised or should they initiate it. So, you know, it makes life more interesting. Plus, I think sleeping with somebody in bed uh, is is uncomfortable. They pull covers off of you. They roll over on you. They snore. Um, 
I think oh, men yeah. should have their own. They should have their own bedroom. Now and bathroom. Dogs. Oh, bathrooms. Oh, my God. Of course. I can't even think of anything worse than having to share a bathroom with a man. But <laughs> dogs and cats on the bed are OK, <laughs> but not men. <laughs> yeah. I, I first thing I look at in a hotel is please tell me there's at least two sinks. Oh, no, I would I, I would never share a bathroom. And people thought I was kind of eccentric because I always had my own bedroom and bathroom. Uh, but I can assure you, I have, I've had three husbands. So, you know, I'm not exactly prudish when it comes to any kind of intimacy, shall we say. No, you, 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 you hook them and get them in and then throw them back to their own space. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of a catch and release. Catch and release, absolutely. <laughs> How does etiquette differ between the North and the South? Well, here's my theory. You know, it, it goes back to the founding of America. You have in the North, the founding fathers there, uh, I think it was 1620, you know, with um, uh, the pilgrims, and they were all very religious fanatics, many of them. Yep. They didn't, they dressed differently. Uh, they didn't drink. Uh, they didn't smoke. They were really very rigid in their whole social structure. And then you compare that to the Southern founding fathers who were aristocrats. I mean, in the North, you have indentured servants and prisoners and slaves and, you know, people that are escaping whatever. In the South, you have cavaliers that settled the South. And earlier than the the North, actually, it was 1607. But they love to drink, uh, play cards, dance, listen to music. Uh, They had horse racing. They bet. In other words, all of the vices that one could think of were established early on in the South. And it's been a long tradition (laughs) where it is in the North. You had scarlet letters and were burned at the stake. So that's my theory about how it's a little different etiquette wise and what you can get away with in the South that you can't in the North. (laughs) Okay, my last question about etiquette. So uh, it's a dying art. So what the hell am I supposed to do with my Good monogram stationery, not not the hard cards. I still find some use for those. And I even have still a box of calling cards. What do I do with these things now? Well, calling cards are very simple. When you give gifts, you know, <clears throat> instead of buying a card, a Hallmark card, God forbid, put in one of your calling cards and write a little note on the top with love. Melissa, and then you scratch out the formal last name and you put it in the in the gift. 
Yeah. Everyone always laughs at me because even on my hard cards, I draw a line through my last name. And everyone's like, why do you do that? I'm like, because it technically makes it more informal. Exactly. That's exactly right. Uh, That's do you I'm, ever write good, letters? Do you ever write handwritten letters or notes? Not really anymore unless it's being included in something. And I'm a firm believer that letter writing is a, is a dying art or has a, is a dead art, kind of like Latin's a dead language. I think it's kind of sad because it's really kind of exciting to get something handwritten in the mail. You know, it's a treat. It it really is. So you're 81. Yes. You look spectacular. Thank you. I'm going to ask this in the most polite way I can, which is what's your secret and will you share the doctor's number? <laughs> All right. Well, you know, I have a theory about aging and uh, self-care and what you do to yourself. For example, when I was in my 50s, uh, I went to a doctor uh, in L.A. who's now died, unfortunately, or I'd give you his number. But anyway, he did what was then kind of a revolutionary thing. And all he did was make a little incision here and he cleaned up, you know, the uh, jowls. Uh, that was, that was like 40 some years ago. Uh, but I do not think that overdoing it really is the right thing. Um, I think that injecting your lips, well, well, let me backtrack. First of all, I never went in the sun. My mother at that time, because let's not forget, I'm 81, I grew up in the 40s. Um, I wore gloves, I wore hats, and my mother would whip out her little parasol. She had a French parasol because she thought sun was the enemy. And I think because of that, I've really got really good skin for somebody my age. By the way, uh, my mom, the same thing, same thing, the most amazing skin. Yes, your mother was gorgeous. Um, and I think that above all is the best thing you can do for yourself. And the second thing, is and people ask me all the time about my skin what's my uh system you know what products do i use but i think it's a mistake because everybody's skin is different i think the best thing you can do is to find a top dermatologist and go frequently for example botox is my middle name and uh when botox first came out I thought, oh my God, this is unbelievable. So I bought lots of stock in Allergan, which I still have. I mean, I sell it off periodically, but uh, Botox is just fantastic. But I think that you have to be careful because sometimes uh, I know one person who did their upper lip and they couldn't swallow for two weeks. <laughs> so or whistle, they couldn't or whistle, whistle either. Or drool, or, a lot of drool. Or drink out of a straw. 
You always can see in LA women going like, and trying to drink out of a straw. You're, I think these injectable lips that people are doing now make you look, here's what I think makes you look older. Getting a lot of filler so you look like a chipmunk because what mm -hmm. it does is it, you know, it makes your eyes look funny and everything. Uh, and those duck lips are just, uh, I think they look ridiculous, number one. And uh, I can't imagine that people find them attractive. And they now have a procedure. I've seen it recently where they take your lip and do like a lipectomy. I don't know what they reverse. Yeah, they it like and, flip the lip up. Yes. Yeah. It's and not a good look. It's, it's not a good hurt. look. And I don't know, it, I, I mean, when I grew up, you really didn't do anything except stay out of the sun and moisturize. Mm -hmm. And I think that you can almost do too much. I think less is more. I mean, I'm tempted right now because all of this has kind of gone south. And I keep, you know, I look in the mirror and I do this and I think, you know, this would be good. But do I want to, I mean, I'm 81. Clearly, I don't need to have tight, tight skin. Nobody's going to buy that, first of all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. At one point, they go, mm-hmm. You know, like, <laughs> you look like you've, you know, been in a wind tunnel, and then all of a sudden, there's your neck and your hands. So, you know, uh, but I do think that that skin care, like lasers are good, Um um, it's upkeep. It's just it's upkeep, upkeep. Yeah. Maintenance. Maintenance is Maintenance. key. Um, speaking of beauty, you, you surround your life kind of with beauty and graciousness. I mean, do you walk into a space and think, hmm, here's how I would do it? Because my mother was notorious for rearranging hotel rooms. <laughs> the first thing she would do would be move the lamp, slide the chair, you know, that whole thing, because she's like, oh, I can make it better. And she had that same eye for beauty. I'm kind of guilty of the same thing. And I find myself, if I go to a friend's house, and most of my friends have houses, apartments that are done by, you know, great decorators. And, uh, you know, the, it, it, it's pretty good to begin with. But some of the younger people, like some of the kids on the show, I want to do that. I'll make slight suggestions. Um, and of course the guys on the show live in hovels. So they're beyond the point. Plus they're, you know, what can you do when you go to a party and there are beer cans and cigarette butts and God knows what all over the place. Southern charm is a different kind of thing. My friends all have fabulous interiors. Um, but your mother was right about hotel rooms. I mean, I take my own bedding, for example. I won't sleep on sheets or blankets that have been on. I don't even want to think about what's gone on before me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you say that you say things, you make gentle suggestions, which I find amusing <laughs> so you come back to the South, you know, who are, everyone's very much a steel magnolia. 
But there's been times you open your mouth and you come out as a New Yorker. You know? Yes, because I have, uh, and I was brought up to to not be snarky and uh, to always be gracious, always be friendly, always be kind. But living in New York all those years, I found it's easier just to say what you think and it slips out. So there are many occasions on the show where I could have taken the high road but no. <laughs> <laughs> the high road sometimes isn't as interesting. <laughs> well, I know you're right. It can be very boring. So, uh, you know, a lot of people think that um, I'm imperious and uh, judgmental, all of which uh, comes naturally now. <laughs> I think the answer to that is when they say that, you say, thank you. <laughs> I am. Thank you. Um, your your son Whitney created the show Southern yes. Charm. It is now, which is unbelievable, in its eighth season on Bravo. I personally do know what it's like to work with a pa- a parent on a reality show. How's it going? Yes, for you I two? remember. I remember. How, how's it going? well he likes to say it's the worst mistake he ever made (laughs) so in other words you uh, so in other words the show seems to be financing your therapist's second house (laughs) (laughs) actually he's pretty good about it all you know he there's a lot of eye rolling and uh he he decided well he's done other shows and um he it was just announced variety just announced another show that is green lit he's got maybe three or four other shows that he's really uh producing and he's on southern charm very little and i think he kind of does a few little scenes with me and I'm always giving him a hard time about whatever. And he takes it very gracefully. Basically, he doesn't really pay that much attention to me. <laughs> you, you, do you ever get the phone call when he's watching the uh, footage where he just calls you and goes, Jesus, mom, really? <laughs> <laughs> because I had those moments where I would just be like, oh my God. Oh my God, how could she have done that or said that? Yeah, yes, I've gotten quite a few of those. Usually it's when I um, pick a fight with somebody when I didn't really have to, you know, I could have just kept my mouth shut, but no, I had to say exactly what I thought about them. (laughs) That's what makes you so great. Um, My mother has, we still have my mother's line on QVC you have a line on HSN. How do you decide what to sell? How how involved in the process are you? Because my mother was drawing and pulling and looking and redesigning the whole the whole time. I don't think people know. Like she didn't just put her name on something. Oh no, I do the very same thing. I approach it the same way. Uh, but they came to me to do home decor 
uh, it's the everyday luxury collection. So here's basically what I do. And I can't use the word copy because I really don't copy. I interpret. So I look around my house and other houses and I see things that I think can be done in a similar fashion. For example, I have... Um, I have an Italian mirror that I paid $35,000 for, let's say. And I send a photograph to the artist and I say, is there any way that you can do a Venetian mirror like this? But my mirror is in three parts and is huge. Can you make it this size? And can you send me some drawings and we can make it all one piece and minimize it? So basically, they can do things like that. They use modern materials, and it looks fantastic, and it sells for three hundred dollars. Yeah, you, can say, you know? how do I make it? How do I make it smaller, look as good, and keep it at a reasonable price point? Exactly. And uh, I have some caftans, and uh, I first bought a caftan that had fringe down either side. And I paid, I don't know, $2,800 for it. And I thought, I bet you they can do that the same way. And so I picked out uh, flamingos because I have a, you know, a flamingo party and a very pretty print and pink and blue. And it's got pink fringe, looks exactly like the one that cost initially $2,800. So what I do is take candlesticks mirrors, um, bar carts, martini glasses, decanters, whatever, throws. I do bedding. In fact, Porto sued me last year because I have really? sheets. Yes, I have sheets that are European in design. They've got the scalloped edge, the trimming. They're the exact thread count as European bedding. They're beautiful. We designed the print and so forth. And I mean, they sell for $78 for four pieces of linen. Or you can buy the original for, you know, what, $3,500 a set? And as my mother said, you don't copy or you're not inspired by it's an homage. It's an homage. I like that. I'm going to use that. Yes, I've been inspired by, but I like homage better. (laughs) Exactly. In the beginning, you brought up your mutual friend with my mother, someone who I adored, Mario Boata, also known as the Prince of Chintz. The Prince of Chintz, yes. Yes. In fact, you see it right here behind me. I was going to say that people don't know that because it's sort of out of style is Chintz is the big floral patterns found in gracious homes all over the world. My mother's feeling on chintz was she liked a touch of it here and there. Mario, if it wasn't moving, he chintzed it. Like if, <laughs> even if the dog stood still for too long, it would be covered in chintz. What I have to ask is your feeling on chintz. Well, Mario did four I'd say he and I were good friends for 30 years and I used to travel with him. Uh, I would go with him 
on buying trips, even if he was doing somebody else's, one of my friend's homes, you know, just because he was so much fun. Uh, I have chintz in my, in all the houses he ever did for me. I have chintz, but it's mostly in pillows. I have some upholstered pieces, but um, I think my house in Charleston is the best thing he ever did. It's not over chintzed. It's, it's eclectic. I mean, I've got 20 foot high ceilings. It's Greek revival. And he loved this house. And um, we just had a great time decorating it. And it's not overly chintzed. Well, that you're very lucky. You must have gotten him in a, in a, on an off day. Well, I had input. You know, a lot of people will hire a decorator and he just does everything, you know. But I have collections. I have my own family furniture. Um, uh, You know, I have a lot of things on my own that actually are compatible with the things that he liked. Like I have dog paintings, you know. and porcelain collections. And so I think that he just did a brilliant job on this house. And you see it on Southern Charm. Yes. So what is your life like now on a day-to-day basis when you're not, I mean, because you're so lucky. You've had amazing husbands. You've had this phenomenal life. You're going strong at 81. I mean, what what is your dream? What is still left on your bucket list? Well, there's not much that I haven't done or seen, uh, but I am constantly busy. I'm designing all of this stuff for HSN, uh, doing Southern Charm, and I have my own friends. I travel. They come here. Uh, I just uh, am the ambassadress for High Clare Castle Gin because drinking martinis, I'm sure people think I'm a dedicated alcoholic because all they see me with is that martini glass on Southern Charm. Uh, I do have a martini every afternoon, but High Clare Castle is where Downton Abbey mm-hmm. is filmed. And so uh, I'm going to be their representative. The gin is incredible. Uh, Best I ever had. And it's infused with lavender and citrus. And it's 18 different botanicals that are grown there at Downton Abbey, let's call it. So I'm going to go over next month and um, visit with Lord and Lady Carnarvon at High Clare Castle, and we're going to do some pictures to advertise High Clare Castle gin. And so, I don't know, with my friends, with Whitney's friends, with all of this going on, I'm constantly busy and active. I have a trainer. I'm not dedicated, let's say. (laughs) (laughs) My mother used to convince her trainer, like, Oh, let's just sit and have some coffee first. And next thing you knew, the hour was up. 
<laughs> well, I figured out I, I get mine to talk about nutrition and that takes up the first half hour. <laughs> awesome. Good uh, trick. So last question. Can you divulge, is there going to be a, a season nine or does a Southern lady not divulge her secrets? Well, you know, I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not objecting to divulging secrets. I mean, I do that on a regular basis on <laughs> national television, but uh, Southern Charm is being played out now. So we have another month and a half, two months to go. And we will never know up until a month beforehand whether we get renewed or not. Uh, my guess is we will be, but I honestly don't know. If there was one etiquette tip you could give to the world other than do not chew with your mouth open. What would it be? Uh, when you are dining, please put your cell phone away. Turn it off and put it away. Do not have it as part of the cutlery and put it, you know, on the table. Uh, I find that most objectionable. And uh, I know that it's a different age now, and it's a technological age, but there are times when you just want to focus on your friends and having a good time and listening and not, you know, every two seconds seeing, you know, what your Instagram or your messages are. So that's my tip. Put it away. Patricia, this has been amazing. Thank you so much. This is fun. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed it tremendously. Ahura Media Production.